What was your favourite Jersey Shore moment? The South Park takeoff of Snooky. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm Roger. And welcome to The Middle. Where we try to have thoughtful conversations. About awkward topics. On our search to find the middle. That's that phobic. I thought Bill Wall, I just owned up with a A few moments ago, Buckingham Palace announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. I act as if God exists. Put your masks on. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Hey Andy, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, good Roger, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. I um, had a bit of an uh, experience on the road today that I wouldn't mind uh, sharing with you. Okay, so, tell me, tell me about what happened. So I was um, I was going to be in the car, and I was actually I was traveling in the in the left lane, right? So it was a two lane road, and I was traveling in the left lane, and I was going the speed limit, which was sixty kilometers now. And um, I'll kind of look in my rearview mirror, and you, you can feel the presence of this huge black SUV behind me, like really, you know, riding my ass, right? I'm going the speed limit, right, for the slow lane. He can overtake if he wants me. He's like riding my ass in there, so. You know, I'm trying to mind my own business and not, and I don't usually pay too much attention to that, right? I'm not an overly aggressive driver. Uh, and I'm also listening to an audiobook, um, feminist audiobook at the time. So, you know, my mind's like in Zen and try not to be too toxic. Anyway, but it keeps on happening and I can tell that he, he's, he's been quite aggressive. He's right on my ass and he's kind of like, you know. Uh, so I think to myself, oh, I just can't help myself. I have to um, do something. And so essentially I break check him. Right, but I do in a. I have a way of doing it where the car doesn't slow down, where I actually just feather the brake. I don't take my foot off the accelerator, just so that the lights show up. So I do this, and then obviously he freaks out and he kind of um, steps back for a second. And then the next thing I know, he's pulled up beside me, and he's now in the fast lane, in the right lane, but traveling my speed limit to try to get my um, my attention. And I look over. He's in the car, and he's like yelling, and you can tell he's just like so pissed off. He's enraged. And his poor kind of son that he's obviously picked up from school is sitting in the passenger seat and he's having to yell past him to try to get my attention. And then I just kind of, you know, I just kind of look him in the eye and just keep on going about my day. And the poor son has to deal with this awkwardness. And it got me thinking about the ethics of this situation. And I wanted to kind of ask you, have you ever been in a similar situation where you've had to uh, break check someone or, or deal with someone who's tailgating you? So just for our listeners, break checking is where you basically uh, have someone tailgating you and then you you make your brake lights go on because you either tap the brakes really briefly or whatever so that it becomes crystal clear that they're too close to you and that in the light of potentially having to brake suddenly, they're too close to you and it it's a bit of a reminder to the car that's tailgating you to fuck off. I, I definitely have had like, and it drives me nuts when you get people like tailgating you, especially like people who will like tailgate you even though you have a car in front of you that you can't miraculously, you know, jump over or go faster, like because oh, you know, you've got the car, like, and it's almost like when they're tailgating you, either that they're they're so stupid that they don't realize that there's a car in front of you, or they expect you to tailgate the car in front of you. And maybe in some situations you can kind of like if someone's going like forty in a seventy zone or something like that, then you can kinda let's all kinda keep things moving or <laughs> put some pressure on the the slow coach. But you know, usually the situations that annoy me is when you've got like an L plater or something that's, that's actually going the speed limit. You can't possibly tailgate them and expect them to go faster than the speed limit. Yeah. Um and then you've got some arsehole behind you. So yeah, I've had the situation. I don't tend to break check because I think it's you know, it's like borderline, well, dangerous, I guess, but it kind of escalates um, things a little bit, doesn't it? I, I don't mind the escalation, but like, I mean, in some ways, like I think we we kind of all enjoy a little bit of like righteous conflict in those street justice settings, yeah. But I, I think it's just the um, I have done it, I've done it before, but yeah, I probably try and keep myself to my best behavior where <laughs> where I'm, you know, got my sense, my wits about me. Yeah, and then you know, like as I was reflecting on it afterwards. I realized I had, you know, I was in the car by myself and it is off, it's actually quite a strange experience like listening to a feminist audiobook while road rage is occurring. But I had my kids' seats, the car seats in the back, clearly visible from the back and still this guy was tailgating me, right? And what kind of example is he showing to his son when he's totally lost control and now is yelling across, you know, across him in a closed kind of SUV trying to, trying to communicate with me, right? Like I just... I think the whole thing is so ridiculous. And, you know, he's in such a rush to, 
to get past me, but yet he's now traveling my speed limit to try to get my attention. It's just the whole thing is just a little bit of a, a microcosm of what's going on in society and what happens when people act in a way where they don't think there are consequences for their actions, right? This guy would never do that to me if he was just standing behind me and like, you know, ride my ass in a line and then get up in my face or, or, or have a fight or come up to fight me with his son there, right? He's just doing it because he's in a car and he thinks he's untouchable. And that's really what happens online, right? All the time. We've spoken about that when there's no accountability for your or consequences, perceived consequences for your action. People act crazy. It's probably our human selves in our most natural state. <laughs> you know where, where we don't have any like and actually like that does i think shed like a, a fair amount of insight into just how powerful culture is because i mean imagine you're like getting into a lift at work or something and you accidentally like bump into someone you, you'd turn on the charm oh i'm so sorry i'm so sorry for accidentally touching you how might how might i ever repay you and then and then the moment like yeah like on the you get out of that lift and get into the car it's like we all suddenly become like just these animals like it's pretty incredible i haven't told you um the crucial detail which race do you think the driver was all races have their shitty drivers sorry to interrupt the podcast andy and i have really enjoyed doing this and while we don't want your money or anything like that it's been great to see the number of our listeners grow since we kicked things off last year the best way for us to reach more people is word of mouth so if you'd like to support us then we'd be really grateful if you could share it to a friend or someone that you think might enjoy the podcast we know there's a conversation for everyone so please pick an episode that you think that they'd like and share away that ends our shameless plug and we'll return you now back to the episode so last week we had our our aging episode and i saw um the other week there's this new festival in america that was announced right um called power trip and like it's it's a pretty impressive sort of lineup right so this is like where the coachella except this time like with kind of heavy rock bands right you have guns and roses iron maiden acdc ozzy osbourne metallica tool all at the one the one festival right so it got me thinking right so all of those bands you know, if you look at those bands on the stage, you go, oh, they're all getting a bit old, right? More than a bit. And it dawned on me, imagine it through their eyes, right? Imagine what they see. So we look at them and we think they're all getting old. But imagine them from up on the stage, right? They're used to seeing like all these young people, young, attractive, young men and women. And every year they've just gotten a little bit more <laughs> ugly, a little bit fatter, a little bit more bald, a little bit less you know, enthusiastic in the mosh pit. You mean they're not showing their, the women aren't taking their tops off anymore? Well, they, they are, but the, they can't see the, um, the, below the, the stage because they're too saggy, right? <laughs> yeah, so, like, I, I actually wonder, like, because the old trope is that, like, all these bands, like, they're all aging rock stars, but, like, they must be looking at, at the fans and going, what happened to our, like, all our young fans? Now we've got, like, you know, people with walker frames and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there has to be a little bit of that, though, doesn't there? It's, like, kind of... The old trope about as you grow older as a man, you can't still kind of be attracted to what you were attracted to when you were 15 years old, right? So I think, well, the I same. think there's plenty of fans at this uh, Power Trip Festival that will give it a good, a good crack. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Like your relative way of you know dealing with age as a benchmark and stuff must change too, right? Like I'm sure they're not longing for teenage fans like they, they used to, right? They might not even think about it. As an aside, have you seen any of the videos of Vince Neil trying to sing Motley Crue songs uh, in 2023? No, no, I haven't. So for anyone out there, like go and YouTube them. Imagine like you are out at night in a seedy, dodgy karaoke bar and like the dude who thinks he's like, you know, the life of the party gets up and does karaoke on Girls, Girls, Girls. (laughs) That's basically what, what Vince Neil sounds like. It's all about the vibe. So, Roger, uh, do you watch much uh, reality TV? You know what, Andy? Um, my initial response to this was no. Like, you know, I'm far above all that, uh, you know, got a, that trash TV, that shameless TV. But then I kind of thought back and actually I think I have watched a fair bit of reality TV and I've either just kind of written it off as something I did when I was much younger or I've not really been thinking of them as reality TV. So um, things like you know, all the, the master chefs and things like that. And I think when I was younger, I did watch a season of the Jersey Shore. Um, so Classic show. <laughs> yeah, so I think I actually have watched a little bit. And I think um, a, a few of those kind of competition shows like uh, Nick's Top Model or 
things like that, right? Or the, or the voice, those talent shows. What about you? Yeah, actually, I, I do watch um, a fair bit of reality TV and it's got like this reputation of being like in the gutter, right? So it's it's trash, right? But I actually think there's some there's some genuine quality in in reality TV that that people don't give it credit for. So I sort of feel like reality TV sort of starts with you know one of the big reality TV shows, you know, which was Survivor back in I think like the year two thousand, right? That was what I think kicked off you know massive investments in in reality TV by. TV networks. That definitely isn't the first reality TV show, but I think it was probably the first reality TV show that um, you know really hit the big time and and kind of you know attracted like a whole a whole nation you know in in America and and then in, you know in certainly countries like Australia too. So yeah, so that was like what twenty three years ago. There's a lot of trash though, right? Yeah, well, maybe yeah, yeah. maybe trash. I, I I think that when people think of it as trash, it's more maybe the exploitative nature of some of it, right? I think well. So when you said there, are, there's a lot of trash out there. I'm thinking B-grade reality TV shows that don't really tell a story, don't have you know redeeming characters, or there's nothing in it that to yeah. take away with it of any substance. But there are some reality TV shows like so, like to go on Survivor. So like I'm, I, I really enjoy Survivor. I've watched every single season of wow, that show. Really? Yeah, and there's like 43 seasons of Survivor US. Like of course I watch Australian Survivor, which just for the record is better than US Survivor. And then there's like international seasons. So I've watched the 43 US seasons plus the international seasons as well. So like Andy, you've watched 43 <laughs> seasons of Survivor. Oh hell yeah, it's great. No, but see, like just to defend Survivor, right? Survivor is like a show where they do bring out like the people in the show, so you can see. All of their kind of, you know, it's actually not about surviving. It's actually them navigating like the social environment, the cutthroat nature of it, slitting the throat of their best friends, like all this sort of stuff. You see stuff in that show that you can't see anywhere else on TV. And they do spend a lot of time through the editing of these shows to really build up the storylines. So it's not that they like manipulate the show. It's that they actually invest time like building up you know, showing you what you need to see to tell a story. So it's kind of like storytelling from like a palette of colors that, you know, the contestants actually give to them, but the producers have to put it all together. And that's where I think there is like a higher art form to some shows versus like the trashier reality yeah. TV programs. Well, I think like what's common with any new or emerging genre, or it's not new anymore, the entirety of the shows tend to get lumped together. And like you said, there is a lot of difference between a really trashy, low-budget, cobbled-together reality TV show and then Survivor, which is probably near the apex of the art, right? And I think that's very clear. Like, I, I mean, to be a fly on the wall when there was this gold rush for reality TV concepts because, you know, it, it meets that intersection of really cheap and this kind of viral aspect, right? It could be a water cooler cultural phenomenon. And so I think in the in those heady days of the 2000s, there must be, be just like pictures of anything, you know, and it reminds me of that, South Park episode when the guy, the robot's coming out with um, movie titles where it's like, how about Adam Sandler goes to an island and falls in love with a coconut and the executive's like, I love it. I want to buy it. I just kind of feel like it's to be full of that stuff because of how cheap it is to make. But, you know, you, you start with Survivor and I kind of understand that now that you've like watched every season, but my kind of genesis of uh, reality TV probably is more Big Brother because I think to me that's a purer form of what's very mystifying about reality tv it's like that social experiment of like there's nothing special about these people that we're literally going to trap them in a house and we're going to try to get authentic um, interactions from them and at the start it was very much like that and i think as time went on you know it became more and more produced they provoked more and more for certain dramatic responses and and confrontation and things but i think at the at the very start and the, and the purity of the concept of humans interacting is interesting enough, right? And actually, and this idea of you go into the Big Brother house and then you emerge a celebrity, right? That was a very new thing. You know, these people had careers that left the show and were like loved or hated. They were like heroes and villains that bled into the real world. And especially, I think, like maybe in the UK where they have a big tabloid scene, it took a life of its own, right? And it really did change the culture, I think. You had, you had like people in parliament talking about 
Big Brother and, and the characters on there and different scandals and cultural aspects, class wars playing out there. And um, to me, that like that resonates as one of the the starting of that that genre. Look, of course, there are different formulations of the genre. Like, so to think of a show like Gogglebox, which is where you just essentially have people on a couch watching TV and commenting on what they're watching, right? So it's pretty benign and uncompetitive, but like you get a good cast and, you know, they say funny things and it, it taps into that part of you that, you know, it's like you're watching TV with your with your mates on, on the couch. Like that's kind of the feeling that you, you get from it. But some shows are, it's like sport of a different kind, you know, so you have this dynamic where you start rooting for like a team or a, like so in like The Amazing Race, like that, you know, where they, it's like a competition where people go around the world and do all sorts of crazy stuff, tasks and the like, and, you know, you, you start to root for like a certain team and like that's what what's so like good about Survivor because you do like very much like become invested in wanting like one or or a handful of players to win like you you really want like a player to win and and the beauty of 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 the nature of the genre is the editing of the show can lead you down that pathway so the producers can edit like to have likable winners and you know in some ways that's like that's a fiction but it's real like it is still real like you're seeing real people do real things and you know, you have likable winners and every now and then you'll have an unlikable winner and that'll be a pain to, you know, put a sour taste after the experience. Yeah, I see what you mean. And I, I've always been interested with the the producing of it, right? Because that's the, always the the thing that gets thrown back in their face that, you know, the producers manipulate things to get a certain outcome uh, to cause confrontation or confrontainment, so entertainment-based confrontation to essentially sell the drama of the show, right? And I think that, you know, I'm getting, even from making this podcast, I understand more now about editing and how it can fundamentally change the tone, the messaging of a conversation. Imagine what they can do in a reality TV show. They could spin it any which way, right? So I think it's like, to me, I'm always a little bit dubious about the producing aspect of it, right? Absolutely. And and like, I think for every 100 hours, there's like 20 minutes that makes the cut, right? So the capacity to choose the 20 minutes that's going to tell that right story is is incredibly wide like there's a very wide berth for the producers to do that and there's absolutely no doubt that they do that on probably every single reality tv show even the most the ones that the purists would stick up for um even if the producers aren't like intervening in the in the show itself like they're not like deliberately you know kind of trying to influence the outcomes and the behavior they're still they're still editing the thing together it's, it's a business, right? And I think that's where I have a little bit of trouble with the genre because I get entertainment and, and I get that. But if, if you're liking it because it's real, I don't think it is, right? Like I, I don't think and, – and I think that's the part like you call a spade a spade. You know, these are network executives that are trying to get ratings and viewership to be a successful program. And so they're going to do what, what it takes to be successful. And that's cool as long as you don't – trick the audience into thinking it's real or you like it because it's real. Now, I start off by saying like a little bit of, uh, I don't know, maybe not snooty. What is the word I'm looking for? This kind of thing around like, oh, a lot of people feel that they're above reality TV. And I do struggle with this sometimes, right? Because I know that you've held up Survivor as a, as a really great example of what reality TV could be with good plot lining and, and editing and all these kind of things, right? But if I said to you, you know, like you should go and watch the 43, the 50 seasons of Big Brother? Like, what would you say? The the Survivor snob in me will, will say very, very strongly that Survivor is absolutely more superior to Big Brother. So uh, so that's um, that's a, a categorical um, flaw in the premise <laughs> of your question. Um, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. No, look, I, I, I totally get that, like, these shows aren't for everyone. Probably the, the biggest difference between Survivor and Big Brother, at, like, not to get into the nuances of, like, all of this stuff, but... It is the competitive nature of Survivor. So the reason it's different is because you're not just watching people on an island eating coconuts and stuff like that. Right? I mean, to be to be you know fair to the audience, they do eat coconuts, though, right? They they do. You do get to see that, <laughs> but that's not like why you watch it, right? You like they they could have it in a car park for all that matters, right? That the show's all about people interacting, the competitive nature of it. So if if you don't know who's who's won, right? So you don't know who the winner is. You can go back and watch like the early seasons and they're every bit as yeah. enjoyable 
like for you not knowing who the winner is as they would have been back in the day. And I can totally understand that, Andy, but I guess what I'm asking for you is back to Big Brother, right? How do you rationalize that? Because at the end of the day, it has been hugely popular. And there are people that have watched all the seasons. And, you know, I think in the in the UK, the first season of the winner was like when the winner came out of the at the end of the season and they asked him, oh, who do you think voted for you? How many people do you think voted for you? And he's like, oh, you know, I got about 30 friends, so probably about, uh, you know, 30 of those people voted for me. And it's like, no, Lee Billy or whatever his name was, three and a half million people paid to vote for you. Three and a half million people cared enough to actually ring the number on the screen and vote this guy as the winner of the first season, right? And it's been a huge success. And I can't rationalize that, that, you know, does when I said that, you know, does it mean that I'm stuck up because I am not willing to entertain Big Brother? It's like, there's millions of people. Are, are they all just been duped or am I missing out? And I, and I can't meet in the middle of that. I would not go back and watch the 50 seasons of Big Brother, right? Or whatever. I don't know how many there are. I would not do that. It doesn't interest me. But I mean, you had a comment before where you said it's, it's not real and, and all of that. And so at one level, like I agree with that. But on another level, I think there's like a little bit of an asterisk, like a caveat to that, because some of it is real, right? So some some of the stuff, you, like the whole premise of it is that you can't make this shit up, right? That the stuff that happens, the stuff that you see, no one could write. You couldn't plan it. And those things do happen in these shows. And that that's like the gold, right? Mm. So now in Survivor, it might be someone with some like a, amazing strategy to, to win the game in Married at first sight, it might be some absolute misogynist that riles everyone up the wrong way, and it's just like this is like he, that person is saying those words. Uh, you know, you you cannot like deny it. like it it is true that that person said those words that causes like you know. So you see those moments, and whatever the show is, it, the fact that it is real in that little microcosm of a, a moment is what makes it better than fiction. Well, well, that's why people love sports, right? Because it is real life drama that you cannot predict, you cannot control, and there's that wildness to it, right? You don't know what's going to happen. I get that. But at the same time, I mean, at the end of the day, we've always been judged as people and when it comes to the media that we consume, right? Whether you're someone who reads trashy books versus academic papers or whatever, or, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning um, novels, right? And I think that sometimes it does, you know, it reality TV does have a real uphill battle right? Because it works off some basic exploits of human behavior and the way that we crave drama and, and conflict and like to judge people and all these other things that um, it has been designed in a, in, a, in a lab or boardroom to kind of captivate people. And that's why so many people, even when they do admit to watching a lot of reality TV, they do say it's a guilty pleasure and they're very aware that they like it for that reason. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. So another show that that I watch. I don't know if you you watch Married at First Sight, but no, I've totally missed that. I think that kind of coincided <laughs> with um with family stuff, and I just had okay. no time to watch it. So that's probably not a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> just to I've be totally clear. missed it. Like I've totally missed that wave. So um, for anyone not in Australia, Married at First Sight is this deplorable show where a bunch of producers basically pair these people together and put them in like. So the idea, it's like you find love, you know, you find the, you know, your your relationships haven't worked in the past. So we're going to get these experts to pair you with, you know, your perfect match. Like we're going to do this scientific approach to matching you or whatever. And we're going to maybe do something a little bit different to what you normally go for because, you know, what you've been doing hasn't worked. So we're going to find something a bit different. Anyway, so they pair these people up and then put them in the worst possible environment for them to, for them to succeed it's like it's just made for drama like so they have these dinner parties and they get these personalities that ha- like conflict with one another and then you know even the pairings you go are you are they really suggesting that this person is the right person for this other person or are you not just putting this person with that person because you know that they're going to explode like even down to the fact that they put people together who clearly cannot work because like they've got kids and they live in different cities and and their lives are entrenched like and it can never work because they they don't live yeah. in the same like like even down to that stuff anyway so the thing that i love about that show is it started out really innocent it started <laughs> out as a genuine kind of wouldn't it be interesting if we did arrange marriages and stuff like and see if it actually works right and they did that for like a couple of seasons and it was like it was actually a genuine kind of attempt to see if they could make this kind of thing work. 
And then I think like I didn't watch like the earlier seasons of it, but I think what happened is there was like maybe season three or four or something, some like drama exploded like at some barbecue or some some dinner night where the couples got together and it just it just exploded like they they just all went off like a you know Guy Fawkes night or something, right? <laughs> and so they took exactly what you say, like what happened in that season and they just like turned the dial up on it, even down to like as like a test, like a this is really just a an exercise to you know, show your your strength of um, commitment to the other partner. So what we're going to do is get you to rank in order the attractiveness of the other brides, <laughs> and then and then they've got to put their actual bride in the order of attractiveness. Yeah. See what I mean by the, like a race to the bottom, and then obviously trying to kind of go okay, the entertainment versus you know judging the consumption of this kind of trashy trashy stuff, right? Like I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's just like sugar. It's going to the breakfast aisle and and. You know, getting that sugary cereal just because they know people will want it, right? I <laughs> don't know if it's a good formula, right? If you think Survivor's like near the top, right? Re- regardless of genres, I suppose, what's like down the bottom? Like what actually is the bottom? I can't remember what it was called. It was actually probably a pretty good show to watch. So I- I'm not suggesting it was necessarily bad TV, but like it's something that would not get made today. So what they did is they got like these guys, put them in a house and made them fawn over like oh. this attractive woman, right? And, you know, so they had all these competitions, like a little bit like The Bachelorette, right? And and so the whole premise of the show was that there was going to be a winner who, you know, that the, the would win the heart of, of the, the Bachelorette, right? But it turns out that this attractive lady was actually a transsexual and none of the contestants knew that. And it was like they had this like moment where like they they didn't know and 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 then when they found out there was like I can't I don't know what the drama was but that's probably close to the bottom in terms of reality TV. That's exactly what I was thinking about. There's a, the show that you're referring to is uh, called There's Something About Miriam. It's um was filmed in 2003, so uh, you know the, the the trans kind of movement and awareness wasn't quite what it was today, quite what it is today rather. But yes. Uh, I've just pulled up a picture of Miriam because the first thing, what is the first thing that comes to mind is like, okay, what if you were one of those guys on this show? How would you, um, like, would you be able to tell and all this kind of stuff, right? So I'm just actually looking at a photo right now and I can honestly say it, you wouldn't be able to tell. And I was actually listening to a, it was produced by a company that actually had a very big LGBT IQ plus focus, right? And they did a lot of these shows that, had that angle right so it actually came from within that culture but um has obviously been horribly received hasn't stood the tent stood up very well in modern times but um yeah that's uh the word deplorable comes to mind but it did i mean listening to him the producer speak about it he did raise some kind of good points as well right uh that it was a very different time for trans people and also this idea of consent, right? Because later the show did get sued by the the guys, right? Saying that, you know, there was mental trauma and all this kind of stuff. And um, they said, well, like, what is the consent? What is the um, responsibility for consent before you talk about these things nowadays, right? Because they were saying, well, all they, like the, the most anyone ever did was kind of kiss Miriam, right? Do you have to, like, that's not physical intimacy in that way, right? Like what, at what point do you need to disclose that you are, you know, pre pre op, and that you, you know, you're working with some gear. What do you think? Yeah. What, what is what's the rule of the street? What does Street Andy say? Is it is it a a kiss? Is it a bit further? I'm pretty sure these contestants signed like some 50 page legal disclaimer that was in like five point font that none of them read, and it had in there that the woman on this show was not born a male. Sorry, was not born. <laughs> You're so confused. You like these contestants. <laughs> um, yeah. Purposely dodging the question of my consent timing, but um, I'll allow it. All right. The so. time is not right to answer <laughs> that question. The timing is not right. This leads on to probably a good, a, a good little mental exercise of out of all the different reality TV shows and formats that you've seen, like which ones would you actually do, right? And obviously I'm, I'm allowing us to change the – particulars of our life and kind of family stuff like that but um where where would you go like which ones would you say tick 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 no no absolutely not maybe um have to have to look at what Miriam looks like well I guess there's like maybe like I'll answer your question but maybe just as a broader point 
like a lot of the people attracted to do reality TV, like it, they all report that it's like a life changing experience, right? So even and and like in, look, sorry, we, we can get we should get to like where it goes wrong in a moment, but you know, nonetheless, it's like it's a pretty exciting thing, right? To to be on one of these shows, like the environment, it's once in a lifetime. Like if you're on Big Brother, for example, like you would. Yeah, you, know, you you would just have this experience that would probably not be replicated in any other setting in life, right? And same for for many other reality TV shows. Then you have like some of the ones where they are a bit more like you have to like go through some tough experiences. So one might be like Married at First Sight, for example, where it's probably not tough in a physical sense, but it's tough in in a emotional sense, or at least you're putting yourself out there and you're at risk of a really bad edit. Then you have like shows like, you know, we've talked a lot about Survivor, which, you know, I would definitely want to go on that just as a life experience, but nonetheless, it's like, it would be pretty tough. And then you have other ones like thinking about like even back down to, um, you know, kind of the biggest loser, you know, where you get people in a house and they have to lose weight and all this, like those kind of shows are also- I always hate how they put the biggest loser um, on during dinner time. So inevitably you end up watching- (laughs) Like these really overweight people try to lose weight while you're eating your dinner. It's just, um, it seems very cruel. Yeah. I mean, like, um, so for anyone, uh, any producer, reality TV producer listening out there, hit me up because I'm pretty easily sold. But um, yeah, how about you, Roger? And look, I, I, I can't say all, all the ones that I would want to go on, I can't because they require talent. So um, I would obviously love to go on some of the more talent-based shows. Um, whether it would be The Voice or um, MasterChef or those kind of things. You know, I'd love to, like, those are the kind of things that I can almost get behind. And I, I include Survivor in that as well, um, those kind of things. But uh, some of it does still seem sadistic, even, you know, things like The Amazing Race and stuff. Uh, you talk- oh, yeah, that would be fun. I'd, I'd like to go on that. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be good too. Although, you know, something that I've learned from my brief uh, episode watching of the amazing race is that no heterosexual relationship ever survives that <laughs> it's like that's the worst idea you talk about like stressful situations and married at first sight amazing race like watching one partner try to do an activity while like the you know the other partner's like yelling at them for doing it wrong and the amount of raw stress like well man you know you, uh, is, uh, actually you have to do it with the boys point. right surely uh, but, but just on that point, right, at what point, like, these shows do get pretty good at, like, getting people to get into their natural state. Like, we were talking earlier about people in, in cars kind of suddenly, you know, not caring about you know, how they behave. I, I, I don't know, like, if you've got a camera in your face, like, how can you not think about, like, how am I going to be perceived if I'm yelling at my my partner, right? Yeah, I saw this um, really ugly footage of this one couple in, like, the American version of The Amazing Race, and the guy was just like borderline like he he was abusive actually like the, the stuff he was um it wasn't just like that kind of you know frustrated whinging or nagging or whatever it was like it was yeah. actually abuse like it was it was it was spousal abuse actually <laughs> sorry I, can you edit that laugh out please i was actually more remembering a time where i'm not sure if it was you know highly unlikely that it's the same footage but it was one where they had to like there was all these hay bales and they had to like um, they had a pitchfork. That's all they had, and they had to choose which hay bales to kind of break down and try to find this package in the middle. And the same thing was happening. The, the poor, like the the woman was there, and she was, you know, not very strong, physically strong. And the man was just going ape shit at her, just going like, no, no. And we're just like seeing this relationship like literally burn down. And just, you know, you don't you play to your strengths in a relationship, right? You're not like tested in this in every aspect or kind of probed and prodded like. Who can stand up to all that? It's crazy. Like to to kind of double back to the question though, like I just don't think that you've got to be a special type of person to want to, I mean, you've framed it in a very optimistic light in terms of the contestants that want to go on because they're looking for a uniqueness of experience. I think that depending on the show, obviously, but the type of people that it attracts definitely have a, a potentially an unhealthy relationship with fame. Um, and their their lust for it, and and what they what they want for their life, and I mean it's logical for them to feel like that. There are people that have gone through institutions and shows, reality TV shows, and come out the other end um, famous. So it's not totally unfounded, but I think that that does attract this kind of modern idea of famous for being famous, right? So I think it's probably worth bringing in that 
like the casting of these shows like we talked before around like producers role and and like the editing of shows and how that's kind of how that's like one dial that the producers have on these shows but the other key lever is casting right so one maybe the old school way of casting was genuinely you put out a you know a casting call to fans and you get you know people to you know do funny videos submit them and you know it's almost like a democratic process like who gets on these shows but the reality nowadays is the cast of of these shows they're not like chosen from applicants they're sought after like there are casting agents who you know look for people who have interest you know who who are going to perform in front of the camera even on some I'll just talk about survivor because that's what I know a little bit more about but there was like a period in survivor where virtually every cast member of survivor was handpicked right so they were either you know they they were actors or people who they could collect from other means or they were friends of friends or they were connected into some broader producers network um i think they've moved away from that now and it's a bit more natural like but certainly for a period in its history it was it was a lot of that and then like you look at like maths which is like another married at first sight that is that the people they find like they're all kind of social media influencers and you know these are people who are courting attention and exposure and and so the producers go for those people because they know that they're more likely to do stupid shit and you know cause drama on the show so and and then equally you get this even bizarre situation where they play up to it so they actually not only are they more sort of you know camera photogenic or whatever but they're actually deliberately courting the attention because they they want to have camera time and they know that the way to get camera time is to behave in a certain way and that you see happening on these shows so yeah. it's sort of like this observer effect you know that's this probably emerged since uh, social media came on the scene yeah i'm actually andy regretting not using this as a bit of an example of uh white supremacy in our race racial and white privilege episode because um you know there's it's we have the data right on all of this stuff and whether it's maths or perhaps something like The Bachelor, there's real diversity issues, right, that are, are kind of clear for everyone to see in the stats, right, that are, is in a controlled environment. There's hardly any non-white contestants, and the few that they do pepper in there <laughs> always leave in the early weeks. Um, so the stats are very hard on these shows, right, that it's, a very, uh, it's made for a very kind of white audience as well. So there's a, there's a racial aspect to the diversity going on as well. And I think that the uh, we we should talk about the modern model of things like mass, and especially things like Love Island in the UK, where it has become a bit of a finishing school for influencers, and they strike deals going into the seasons with clothing brands and producers and things, and they actually then use social media to sell it in real time as the shows are airing, and then they kind of take that career um, post the show as well, so that they're selling these outfits and things like that yeah so it's like this really grotesque truman show thing where everything you see there is for sale right and you can buy the dress you can buy the cup that they're using you can buy and not only that but they're using things like instagram to promote deals they have with asos and and h&m and all these other things right so i think that i just feel like everyone is getting exploited in some way when it comes to reality tv of that type and, it's, and I feel like it's trending towards that. The benefits of being on a reality TV show is definitely that whole um, influencer, like monetizing your kind of notoriety. And they're like, there are some that have done very, very well out of it. But maybe we can use this to pivot to like some of the really negative experiences people can have on on these shows. But because like the flip side of being able to become like a like an influencer and making money with all these deals is that you you make such a bad name for yourself on the show that you can't continue in paid employment in your career path that you had prior to going onto the show you're reviled as like a public figure like people actually don't like you they have a negative yeah feeling about you so you you're certainly not going to get picked up as like a brand sponsor and there are like examples where people have been on these shows and like they've turned to porn and that's like where their market opportunity has been. Like they they've lost their future career prospects, and like I think they're actually making well. The ones I'm thinking of like have actually making like good money on like OnlyFans and stuff like that. But like, well, it's surprising how many ex contestants of Married at First Sight have like jumped on the OnlyFans 
bandwagon. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you consider OnlyFans porn though? Well, um, OnlyFans itself is a platform that's not like purely porn, but maybe soft softcore porn or something like that. But the one that I'm thinking of in particular is like pretty much You're, like um, like you'd have to be like splitting hairs to sort of say it's not porn you're sounding like bill clinton now you know she i didn't get a blowjob she sucked my dick (laughs) (laughs) but like there's other can like i i think the naivety of people on these shows if they think they're gonna get a good edit right they'll they'll assume that and you can kind of see it especially like watching a show like married at first sight you can see people kind of trying to get a good edit like they're trying to say the right like and this is where the whole thing ceases to become reality tv because you can actually see the contestants saying things which are totally geared to give them a good edit but they it never goes that way they always <laughs> that the, the producers always see it for what it is and then like just tweak it in this other way like and then equally you'll see these other like fights that happen between the cast and and they don't kind of make sense you know they're, they're sort of there must be something more to this like there's something that we're not seeing to explain this uh, and the other one they'll do is they'll try and portray someone as a really sympathetic figure because it makes sense up until a certain point to like maybe they're trying to like pile on on one other person on the show for like a few episodes. Yeah. But then like a few episodes later when that like story thread has concluded, suddenly like the whole editing shifts and then that person that originally they were painting as like like a really good guy or whatever – Actually, it turns out he's a fucking asshole, right? It's just that they didn't show it at that earlier period of the show because they were trying to make him look sympathetic. So it's just like you can totally see all the manipulation going on. So, so Andy, something I want to I want to talk to um, is probably it's like the the Kardashians because I think that that well, I guess it's that wave of maybe like Paris Hilton and the Kardashians and kind of this idea and people's relationship with fame. And being famous for being famous, kind of thing. Have you ever watched any of the kind of Keeping Up with the Kardashians or anything of that nature? It's probably not quite the example that you're raising, but I'll I'll say it because you you said you watched it was um, the Jersey Shore. Yeah, the Jersey Shore probably did more was single was the single thing that did more damage to like Italian American relations. <laughs> I can't I can't think of anything that did more damage. But um, for me, the Jersey Shore was like a bit of a breakthrough moment because. It wasn't, it was just kind of like all the rules that I thought applied to these kind of things were just thrown out the window. It's like on Big Brother, right? Like there's this undertone of, oh yeah, I mean, they all sleep in one room. They can have sex whenever they want, but they don't. And they don't like really show that. But here, the Jersey Shore is literally like spring break. It's like they're, they're so, they go out every night trying to pick up chicks and they're drinking, they're kind of acting kind of crass like all the time. And that is the show. It's like literally watching the guys try to pick up chicks at the club every night. Like, and it's just, it's filthy, it's raucous, but it's real and entertaining. Like there are fights on, like actual fights on there with the public and stuff. Like I still remember some of those fights, right? Like, and they're real fights, like drunken fights and stuff like in the street. And I think it's just like that race to the bottom. It's like, this is, this is what people want to see. They want to see this kind of confrontation and drama and like just getting drunk and trying to have sex and like all this horrible part of like a very small cross-section of society doing it for a very probably a restricted amount of time in their life and um how, yeah how much of that show and other shows like that do you think is just portraying like an existence that like we all want to have but can't because either like we've missed the window of time or we don't like we've got jobs and you know like i don't think it is i think it's like it's like that voyeurism thing right it's kind of, you know, you want to see the craziest shit, the craziest shit possible, but you want to see it through a glass pane. You don't want to be in the room. You don't want to be exposed to the filth and the and the grime and the violence. And you're just curious to see someone else do it, right? And I think that's mainly what it is. I don't think that many people are like, oh, man, I wish I could be there with them. I think you know it's like not a good situation, but you still, it's like watching a car crash, right? When I watched that show, I would have been younger than I think anyway, yeah, than the people yeah, on the show, right? So they they were like older than me and still kind of living this life that I felt <laughs> at the time I watched it had sort of escaped me, right? Slipped by. And, and But the reason it slipped by wasn't due to age. It was due to like there's no way that you would have a setting where you can spend like three months living on the party scene and just having all the money that you need to do whatever you want, right? And taking a, a shitload of steroids as well. And, and the um, 
biceps of the situation. <laughs> we got a situation. It was, yeah, it's just like that grotesque carnival mirror as well, right? Like, I'm not saying, and that's not me saying it's not real. Like, I actually do. <laughs> there are people kind of like that, and that's that's what their weekend looks like. But it's it's not. I think it's just, again, it's like, why are you being excited and stimulated by this stuff? And is that the right thing, right? Like, is all entertainment good entertainment? Um, just because you can't look away doesn't mean it's worth watching, right? And I kind of had that feeling when I was watching Jersey Shore. And, and I was much younger, and I, and I had a, and actually, it was an entertaining show. But for that reason, that it was just like, you know, we're just, we're giving the people what they want, even though we know it's not good for them, right? You can have all the sugar and the salt that you want in your food and the fat. We'll just give it to you. Back to a comment you made earlier around, um, you know, it's like this guilty pleasure that, that people have. Because I must admit, like, I don't know how our listeners would react to the notion that I'm such like a reality TV fan, right? I don't know how I'm reacting to it, Andy. <laughs> I watch Bloody Maths, um, Survivor, like all these shows. I knew you Survivor right? now, but I didn't know you watched 43 seasons. And I definitely didn't think you'd be watching like Maths. Well I've, watched, well, I've watched more than 43 seasons because there's at least like 10 to 15. Like celebrity ones or whatever or ultimate. No, well, international seasons. Like, so there's like, I don't know, like seven or eight South African seasons. There's like Have you watched the, um, the physical 100? The what? The physical 100. You know, the, the Asian one that's on Netflix at the moment? No. Nah. Of course, racist. I did watch Squid Game, so. <laughs> yes. And I must admit, like, I'm actually like a TV snob, right? So, like, I'll only watch, like, the cream of the crop, whether it's Netflix or whatever. So, that is, like, a bit of a dichotomy. Like, how do, how do I reconcile that? Like, because I'm, like, really into, like, high caliber, like, the very best of TV shows. But then I'll watch, like, these really terrible shows, like, maths. And, yeah, you know, I, I won't say Survivor's terrible because I actually think that has its merits. So, in terms of reconciling that, for me, the way I think it works is that reality TV is, like, the, the filler. It's the thing that you can watch when you don't need to pay attention. I'll put, reality like, a reality TV show on because it's okay if I miss something. I can miss, like, three quarters of the episode and, like... It doesn't really matter. Like, I haven't really missed anything. But you can't do that with, like, some of these, like, high-caliber dramas. Like, you need to, like, hang on. Like, every word is, yeah, like, crucial. Yeah, really zoned in. So, that's 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 where reality TV fits in into my TV palette. I just um, – and I get it, right? Like, I get it because if we switch the conversation over to food, I'm like that, right? Like, I'm a kind of a bit of a food snob. I like the top shelf, but then I also love the bottom shelf. Like, I, I love, you know, fast food. There's not much fast food that I don't like. Right. And I think they complement each other because of that. That, you know, sometimes you just want something unpretentious and, and greasy and salty, you know. And so I totally get it. But it's just the time. Like I hate this idea of TV as, as filler, you know, that just because, and maybe this is pre streaming culture, right? Like just because you had only three TV stations in Australia for the, for the majority of our, you know, adolescence somehow you had no choice and everyone watched Big Brother or, or you know, The Biggest Loser or something because that was on during prime time. And I really hate that. Like, I, I hate that idea of it's just filling time. And then I do have trouble reconciling, like, the really trashy stuff that people get very, very passionate about. And I kind of put Big Brother into that category. Like, you know, like adoring fans and calling in, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, I, I do struggle with feelings of, like, judgment around that cohort and i know i'm uh, you know i'm on the minority there because it's so widely popular like you can't actually rise above it because you're you're the one that's actually the exception sometimes if you don't if you don't engage with this stuff so what, what does the future look like and in your mind of, of where this stuff will go is it is it kind of something that will wear itself out i mean some of the seasons of this stuff are so long running like i can't believe it i can't believe they don't change it but um where do you think it's all going right yeah, I, I don't think it will end because uh, I think this is like the perfect uh, marriage of like social media and the need for networks or like incumbent media to produce cheap content that resonates with the new generation that's that's going to be like all over this kind of this kind of stuff. I mean, that's I mean, isn't YouTube like the ultimate reality TV in some ways? For me, right, I think in the early days it was this race for trying to be authentic, right? Like and trying to to be raw. But now are people a bit wiser? I think they know that that's not the only element, right? Like it's about a, a range of different things. I do want to talk about one offshoot that I think is really come into its own. And you, you mentioned YouTube, especially on YouTube. And that's vlogs, right? Because vlogs is this weird thing around like, why would anyone be interested in my day? But 
there's an art to it, right? Like obviously if you lead an interesting life, that helps and things like that. But there are some very successful vloggers that literally just show a day in the life and they edit it tastefully. It becomes like a piece of almost cinematic, you know, quality. And they have huge followings and that, you know, that's their career. Like what, what do you think about that in terms of reality TV? Does that qualify for you? Yeah, uh, well, that is that is reality TV. I mean, only it's not on the old uh, television; it's on um, it's on the YouTube. So, I guess um, the principle's the same. It's like that authentic. Are we are we all voyeurs at heart? Look, the biggest difference between YouTube sort of reality TV, if you like, and traditional media driven reality TV is that, as you said, like some of the traditional media when they come up with these shows, there's people around a boardroom strategizing how can we maximize the drama what are the different things we can do to make this kind of look a certain way and it's sort of planned right and traditional media is like the equivalent of the you know the politburo of the socialist republic of you know insert pariah state here coming up with its like five-year plan right and what's really different about youtube is it's completely different it's decentralized you have emergent channels emergent youtubers content creators yeah. that basically are successful for no other reason that they've just happened to by serendipity landed on like the successful formula that people for whatever reason you know really enjoy like i mean like the the ryan's toy review unboxing videos like who would have who, who could possibly plan that as like this really successful piece of performance art that like obviously kids love it but how did we go like 50 years and no <laughs> no one in like the executive of of one of the mainstream media networks like didn't come up with that idea like how did that not happen but it happened on youtube because like it's all decentralized and this guy's successful because people watched it and i think that's the difference what was your favorite or favorite or most memorable jersey shore moment i think my favorite moment of jersey shore was the South Park takeoff of Snooky? So not even you're not even going to credit them for a an actual like <laughs> moment on their show, of which they had like a billion seasons. It's all merged into like one kind of massive like pizza party now. <laughs> I've got to say my favorite one. I've got two favorites. The first one was the the legendary fight with Ronnie, the Come at Me Bro, when he he got drunk and there was some guy on the street that was going. And to his credit, he really tried not to fight him, but then finally it like it reached that point of no return where the guy was up for it. And he was like, come at me, bro. And it was like a proper fight out on the boardwalk. So there was that one. And the other one, I must say, which was very, very shocking, was when Snooki got punched in the face by a guy at the bar. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I, that was, I that was, remember that. That was brutal. And that was real, right? Like that was just some random on the in one of the bars punched her right in the face at the bar. Um, Full-grown man and punching like a four foot two Italian woman. Like it was crazy. <laughs> what do you think hurt more, the punch or the um, South Park episode? Definitely the South Park episode. <laughs> there are some things that don't heal. And, <laughs> and when South Park come after you, uh, you know, like, what do you, what do you do? You can't do anything. So what do I have to do to get you to watch a um, season of Survivor? I'll, I'll watch my cute. Oh, if you pick the best season for me.